You're listening to The Riverwalk, the preaching ministry of Beth River Baptist Church in Winsboro, Louisiana. Today's message is entitled, A Fairy Tale Faith. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. As you can see on the screen, we're going to spend most of our time this morning in 2 Peter. So be locating 2 Peter. But before I get there, I'm going to read one passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 2. And you'll understand why in just a second. But 1 Corinthians to start off with, and then 2 Peter near the end of your Bible. So we're coming to the time of year. This is the last Sunday in September. It's hard to believe, isn't it? We're coming to the time of year where there's going to be campfires pretty soon, and we're going to start sharing scary stories, stories that get our imagination going. Maybe we'll watch some scary movies. Now, y'all know this about me. I love story time. I love it. I love a good movie, a good book gets my interest going. But I know this, that at least for my taste, it's always better when that story is grounded in truth. Every time, it really just fascinates me some of the stories that I've read in the Bible and American history that are scary stories, and it's true stories. But I want to speak to you today about the dangers of manipulating others and the dangers of a manipulated decision. And you know, like Mr. John, we're talking this morning, this stuff, it's even made worse during an election year. We saw some of the things happening in Louisville this week. You have one group saying this happened and another group saying that happened. And everybody's just kind of got their own hidden agenda. And we don't know what to believe. We don't know if it's a true story or if it's just a fairy tale. And it's the same, same thing that happens in our churches, happens in our personal lives. And it's the same thing that happened in the Bible too in this early New Testament church. So if I had to title this message, I don't always title them, but if I had to title this, I would call it A Fairy Tale Faith. A Fairy Tale Faith. Now, in 2020, it's been an interesting year. Of everything that's happened in 2020, there's been some really bad things, but I would argue there's been some really good things. As we get down and we get out, we have learned this year that beyond a shadow of a doubt, there are some things that are just totally out of our control. And we realize things are out of our control. We look for someone who is in control. We look for an answer. We look for, for somebody or something to try to make sense of things. And it has made a, a generation look to God. It really has. There is a spirit in the country where people are looking for a, a higher answer. We're looking even to, to people to come out with vaccines or, or whatever you want to say, come out with uh, answers to things. But there is a real danger in this too because the desperate people start believing in things that aren't necessarily true. And that's what was going on in this church. A fairy tale faith is a heresy. A fairy tale faith is something the early church had to deal with. And it's something we deal with today, like I said. And two of the greatest men, I would argue, two of the greatest men of faith in history warned against fairy tale faith and was careful not to do it themselves. I read this scripture in 1 Corinthians just a couple of weeks ago. And I read it, and I I just read it, and I'm like, I know that I've heard that somewhere else before. I know that I've, I've heard somebody else say this, and I don't think it was the Apostle Paul. I think it was somewhere else in the Bible. 
So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first five verses. And it's Paul talking to the 1 Corinthian church. And he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He is one, probably, probably one of the greatest ever to speak about the faith, one of the greatest missionaries ever. And he said, listen, when I came to you, I came to you not with eloquent words. I came to you just preaching truth. I didn't use big fancy words. I didn't try to manipulate you into believing. I just came and I shared the gospel. Now that's what I read a couple of weeks ago, but I was just convinced that I, I had heard that somewhere else. Almost identical. And that the scripture I was led to is in 2 Peter. So if you want to find 2 Peter, it's in 2 Peter chapter 1. And remember what we just read. And the time span, the difference in these was about 10, maybe 15 years even. This is a different author. This is Peter writing. Peter, who Caitlin talked about earlier in Children's Church. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty little bit shorter, but saying the exact same thing. Hey, when I came to you, I didn't use these big words. I didn't use cunningly devised fables. I just came to you and I preached the truth. So I have to ask this. Why would both men take the time to remind their audience about how they shared the gospel with them? They both thought it was incredibly important that they knew they were not manipulating their decision. Sometimes we read over that and we don't think that's a big deal, but I just have to believe two men, Peter and Paul, saying the exact same thing. I think that's a pretty big deal. I think that's a pretty big deal for the Corinthian church. I think this is a pretty big deal for the audience that Peter was writing, that, and he was writing to a bunch of churches, not just one. So why would they do that? I wrote down five things. First off, they both wanted them to be aware of false teachers because they both knew that they wouldn't be around forever. This was Peter's farewell in, in verse 14, 1 Peter 1, 14. He says that shortly I must put off my tent. He was getting ready to die. He knew that he was not going to be there very longer. And he didn't want them to be manipulated into something else that wasn't true. Church, I want you to understand maybe better than you've ever understood. In 2020, in an election year, amidst a pandemic, I want you to know that true religion does not require cunning, manipulative, eloquent words. And I think you must know this because you would have never called me to be your pastor otherwise. But true, true religion doesn't require that. They loved these people and they did not want them to be taken advantage of. And I want to take the same position this morning. I really, really want you to be careful, especially you younger ones. As you get ready to go off to college and maybe you're already in college as you go to school. I want you to know that I love you and this church loves you and I don't want you to be taken advantage of by cunning or eloquent words. And I want you to know as Christians that you don't have to be cunning, manipulative, you don't have to have a high education, you don't have to use big fancy words to share the gospel because the gospel is incredibly simple. 
I take comfort in that, that it's so very simple. The gospel isn't, isn't that deep. The gospel is simple. So, what are you and I to look out for? He wrote this letter to Christians, and he wanted them to look out for. What do these false teachers look like? What did they look like back then, and what do they look like today? And he spends the whole second chapter dealing with that. So let's read just a few verses in 2 Peter chapter 2. First off, in verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. So they're thinking about themselves, and they're going to exploit you. They're going to use deceptive words, and it's going to sound good, and you're going to want to go for whatever they say, just like a politician wanting your vote. In verse 10, he says, And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Does that sound familiar today? Does that not sound like these organizations we see today? They do what they want to do. They walk in the flesh. They, they live unclean and they despise authority. Don't we see that today? People that despise people in positions of power. They despise police. They despise everything that our history has said we're supposed to respect. They are presumptuous. They care about themselves and they're not afraid to speak evil of those that we should respect. He continues in verse 18. He says, For they speak great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he brought into bondage. Does that not sound like today? They speak these great words. Or maybe today you could say they type these great words. They tweet these great words. They put it on Facebook and on Instagrams. And they're great words and it sounds very good. But at the end of the day, they're words of emptiness. They allure you and especially our young people through the lust of the flesh. Hey, a picture is worth a thousand words. Go get on Instagram and look at a popular hashtag sometimes. It looks good and it pleases the flesh. But at the end of the day, they promise liberty. But at the end of the day, the very people who promise liberty, they're slaves of corruption as well. And Peter warned them about this. This is what false teachers look like. And we see that all across the nation today. What are you going to look out for? Well, he didn't describe a race. He didn't describe a religion. So these people can be of all races. They can be of all religions. They can be of all political parties. And they can be of all creeds. There's false teachers everywhere. So church, I just want to tell you, look out for that. These people, they speak great swelling words, but I want you to understand, please, please, please understand, they do not have your best interest at heart. These people that are selling the books, the people you see on TV, the people asking for your money, the people that are promising prosperity, they don't have your best interest at heart. They want the corporate jets. They want the big houses. They want the million-dollar yachts, and they don't care about you. They care about themselves, and the gospel is so very different than that. You just read where Paul and Peter both said, I didn't come to you with eloquent words. These kind of people, they might be Republicans or they may be Democrats. They care more about your vote. They care more about your money. They care more about your endorsement. Or maybe they even care more about the church growing than they do about your soul. That is what a false teacher looks like. And church, I just want you to know there's this idea today, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? These people are hearing about Jesus. And this, 
what Peter was talking about in Paul 2. These people were hearing about Jesus. They were just hearing a twisting, twisted gospel. There's this attitude going around America today. Well, what's the big deal? Thousands of people are coming out. People are going to these churches and they're hearing about Jesus. What's the big deal? Well, church, I just want you to know. Read in Timothy, read in Titus, read in Peter, read in 1 Corinthians. Doctrine matters. The truth matters. And don't be fooled because wolves eat the sheep. All through the Bible, I do not I do not read about a great end time revival. I read about false teachers. I read about the sheep being eaten by the wolves. I read about people coming in the name of Jesus. People knocking on your doors and sharing something that is not true. And I read about people falling for it. Church, let me tell you, they might sing great songs. They might look great. They might look hip. They might look cool. And they might have a huge audience. But don't be fooled because wolves always eat the sheep. They always do. So church, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. In 2020, while things look bleak, in 2020, while you're looking for something to cling to hope, I'm pleading with you to cling to Jesus and cling to sound doctrine. But Peter didn't stop there. Peter did the church even a bigger favor. He said, what should you expect? What are we going to expect in the future? And he addresses that in chapter 3. I'm trying to go fast, but we're just dealing with the whole book this morning in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9, he says, Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth, standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What do we expect? The last day, scoffers are going to come. Last week, if you were here, you heard me preach a message about the trump sounding. And the scoffers today do the same thing. They'll say, where, where is Jesus? Didn't we hear that during Y2K? Didn't we hear that during the Jesus movement in the 70s? Didn't we hear that during the Great Depression? Didn't we hear that at the turn of the century? And scoffers are going to come. And people are going to come and say, hey, you've got this all wrong. People are going to accuse God of not being faithful to his word. And you'll hear it all kinds of ways today. But here's something I really, really want you to understand this morning. It's saying, knowing, in verse 3, knowing this, scoffers will come in the last days, but then it says, walking according to their own lust. That's the kind of false teachers we see today. People are going to make up religion based on their own lust. This is what I call a fairy tale faith. A fairy tale faith where people make up their own religion according to their own lust. I could just tell you, this, this is what I've seen in the last week. A fairy tale faith says, continue in sin, celebrate in sin. I literally saw a lady this week on Facebook defending herself being a witch. Defending it with the Bible. And she said that God gave her the gift of witchcraft. So God wants her to use witchcraft. That's a fairy tale faith. A Bible that clearly speaks against witchcraft. I mean... Can you make up anything else? I've never been around a witch, but I imagine there's something appealing to it or she wouldn't want to do it. 
That's a fairy tale faith. Dr. Kermit Gosnell, he's an American serial killer. He killed babies after they were born, an abortion doctor. You can go watch the movie Gosnell. You know what he did? You can hear his own testimony. He used scripture to justify his killing of the unborn and born. He used the Bible to say, hey, nobody's alive till they have the breath of life. What a fairy tale faith and what a modern day horror story based in truth that actually happens. Go look around today. Maybe even in Winsboro, you will find pastors and whole denominations that are performing and celebrating same sex weddings. That's a fairy tale faith. Now, don't it sound great to say love is love? God would approve of whoever you're with and whatever you're doing. God would let you do whatever you want to do. Now, I'm not saying that, that God hates the sinner, but I want to tell you this morning that's a fairy tale faith, and that's so far from the truth. That's using eloquent words to justify your own belief. And church, I want you to know what Paul and Peter was saying here. And that's that religion is not supposed to be based upon culture. It's not supposed to be based upon culture. There's, there's churches out there that is using screens to use Star Wars. I, there's actually one church in California that somebody came out dressed as a wizard and declared racism to be over by acting like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. Basing a religion upon culture. It's crazy and it's a fairy tale faith. And I'm scared to death that some of our children might fall for it. But here's the question we have to answer ourselves because the truth is the culture's not changing. The culture's not changing. It's getting worse and it's getting worse. And I know some of you think, and I hope I'm wrong about this, some of us think that maybe if a presidential candidate gets elected or reelected, we think that somehow magically it's all going to vanish and things will get better. But I'm not so sure about that because once again, when I read the Bible, I read about things getting worse and getting worse. And if the culture doesn't change, what am I to do? What is this church to do? What are you to do? How do we live in a culture that is so openly anti-Christian? How do I go to college in a, in a college that just literally hates Christian? That makes you think you've got to check your brain at the door. How do I go to work in a, in a workplace that's hostile towards Christianity? How do I choose the church I go to? How do I do all this thing? And Paul didn't leave, or Peter didn't leave these churches uninformed. He told them how to act in verses 14 through 18. He says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written you, as also in all his epistles. Speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, be aware, or beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. What do we do? How do we live in a culture that's so openly anti-Christian? Well, in verse 14, he says, look forward. Look forward. Stop looking around. Stop looking behind. And let's just look 
forward. Let's look forward to Jesus coming back. Let's look forward to the trump blowing. Let's look forward to a day when we don't have to live in sin. You know, when you're always looking down and you're always looking behind you and you're always looking at everybody else, our eyes are everywhere but where they should be and they should be on Jesus. That's how we live in a culture that's anti-Christian. Look forward. He also says to, to avoid sin and follow Christ's example. To be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. Church, let me tell you, you won't live a fairy tale faith and you won't try to base your religion based on culture if you avoid sin and follow Christ's example. Look at Jesus. Look how He lived. Be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. You'll never be perfect. But that's not an excuse to continue in sin. So let's avoid sin and follow Christ's example. When everybody else is doing it, doesn't mean you should do it. When a church or somebody you love endorses a behavior, doesn't mean you should endorse a behavior. Peter says, hey, look forward and be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And then he says something very interesting, I think, in verses 16 and 17. He talks about Paul's writing. Paul's epistles and all of them. He says, In which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. So listen, what he's saying is, even though some things are hard to understand, some things we read about is, is hardest, is very hard for even the most smartest people in the world to understand. That's not an excuse to twist the Scriptures for personal gain. Don't twist the scriptures for personal gain. At the end of the day, whether you can even read or not, you, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So don't twist the scriptures for personal gain because you know what happens when you do that? You end up being a wolf yourself. Don't twist the scriptures for personal gain. And then he closes it out. He finishes the book out by saying, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grow in grace and grow in knowledge. Listen, so many times we think that grace, and grace is enough. Grace is enough to get you to heaven. Sure, that's true. But there's a place for knowledge. There is a place for knowledge. Me and Mr. John was talking this morning that how much we would know if we just read our Sunday school literature. Listen, it doesn't matter what kind of job you have. Even if you don't even have a high school education, you've got a Bible at your disposal. So listen, grow in grace and grow in knowledge, and that helps us not fall for fairy tale faith. Next Sunday, Sunday school is starting back. And you better believe if I'm healthy, I'm going to be a part of that because I want to grow in knowledge and I want to grow in grace. And it doesn't cost a cent to do that. Crack open your Bible and study it. That's what Peter was saying here. Listen, know these scriptures. Yes, some of it's hard to understand. And no, you're not going to understand everything. But man, what a great opportunity it is to grow in knowledge and grapes. What a great opportunity it is to even have a Bible. You have a smartphone. You've got every translation you can imagine on there. And it's so sad. Do you know why so many people fall for fairy tale faith? It's because so many children grow up and they're never a part of a Bible-believing church. They come to Bible school and they make a profession of faith. They give their heart to Jesus and then maybe they're baptized, maybe they're not, and that's it. And the parent, I guess, I don't know, the parent thinks, well, maybe, maybe they'll go to heaven now. We're done with that. 
But no, Peter says to grow in grace and to grow in knowledge. Man, be faithful to a Bible-believing church. Come to where you can hear the Word preached and taught. And don't go to the church of the YouTube. Because let me tell you, when you go to the church of the YouTube, you'll be falling for your own wants and desires. Not a culture-believing church. Come to a Bible-believing church. Man, I, I hate, I hate whenever I see good Christian people falling for fairy tale faith. Because fairy tale faith is just made on cunningly devised fables, like he said in the first chapter. The gospel is so very simple. It's so very simple. Here's how simple it is it's a simple gospel, but it's an unpopular gospel. And let me just tell you, it's not a cunningly devised fable. It's not, a, it's not a fairy tale that you and I were both sinners. You look at me and I look at you, there's no secret there that Kevin's not perfect, that you're not perfect. That's the simple yet unperson, un, unpopular gospel. It would be a fairy tale faith for me to tell you, hey, you're a good person, you're going to go to heaven because of that. Hey, you give to the church, you're going to go to heaven because of that. Hey, you're a good dad, and hey, you're a good wife, you're a good husband, you're a good father. And that's going to get you to heaven. That's a fairy tale faith. Because the truth is, there's no one righteous, not one. That's the hard truth. It's not a cunningly devised fable that there is a hell. It would be a fairy tale for me to tell you that no such place exists. But there is a place called hell. The good news is it wasn't made for you and for me. God doesn't want anybody to go there. It's not a cunningly devised fable that there is Satan and there are demons. That is absolutely real. And when we talk about that and we get in October and people think it's all fun and games, let me tell you, there is a Satan and there are demons. And like I read last week on Facebook, there are indeed witches. And that's not something to play around with, folks. It's not a cunningly devised fable. It's real. But here's the good news. It's not a fable that God does not want you to be a part of any of that. He's done all he can do. He's done everything to keep you from that. If you're still in 2 Peter chapter 3, let me just show you. Peter, make sure that they know this. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. What a beautiful verse. Man, highlight that, underline it, make a note in your journal. Man, that's such a wonderful verse. It's not a fable and it's not a fairy tale that God loves you so much that he's not slack concerning his promise, and that he doesn't want any to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance. It's not a fable that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and died for you and died for me. That actually happened. It's not a fable that God can forgive you and that God can restore you. It doesn't matter if, if, God, could use a, if God could use a murderer like Moses and like Paul, if God could use a, a fisherman like Peter, if God could could use a prostitute like rehab well God can use you and forgive you of anything you've ever done it's not a fable that God can do that and it's not a fable that God wants to do that but a lot of people stop there and they go back to that fairy tale faith and they say well God did that 
he, he forgave everybody and everybody's going to go to heaven. God already did that. Nothing's required on my part. But let me tell you, it's not a fable. That action is absolutely required on your part. You either accept it or you reject it. If you're old enough to know the difference, it's not a fable to know that you either accept it or reject it. It's a sad truth that many people hear a message like this and they'll just put it on mute and they'll say maybe later, maybe next week. The question I have to end it with is have you accepted Jesus' forgiveness? Are you saved? Or are you holding on to a fairy tale faith? Well, thank you for listening to the Riverwalk today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope you're not falling for for a fairy tale, but instead following the real deal, genuine Jesus Christ, who came, lived, and died for you, and who is coming back again for his church. Thanks for listening. I'm excited to announce we're starting Sunday School again next Sunday at 9.30, worship at 10.30. Have a great week, guys. Thank you.